my, my idea here is one, Travis and I work completely different schedules now and don't talk as much baseball as what we have in the past. And honestly, from our years of coaching, we're in our 16th year of coaching together. Um, we're not in the same place very often, but, but I feel like when we get in the same place and it's usually on road trips because you know, either we're on a plane or, um, you know, going out to do some clinic somewhere or some conference, we spend two or three days of doing nothing but talking the game and insights and new things that we're doing and, and just ideas. And I always felt like that our best ideas always came about in a restaurant setting where we're pulling chairs uh, away from the, the bar or the, or the dinner table and we're getting up and starting to practice the swing in, in inappropriate settings. Um, but it's just that our minds continue to work that way. And I think Travis, you are the more creative of the two and it just gets my mind going on things. And then we, we try to put that into action. So I thought during COVID, since we don't do this very often, we people are looking for content. They're, they're looking for something to, to listen to. And I, I think there's, there's zero script here. Um, I just figure you and I getting together and, and talking about, ideas and things that are going on between us we'll, we'll come up with something decent or uh if nothing else entertaining for the next 45 minutes to an hour what do you think travis um yeah i mean i i completely agree you know just you know thinking back to um even the other day when we were actually in the same place at the same time and you going through just hey you know here's some things that you know we've been looking at um to help create better, essentially plane awareness or plane control and things that are not. And then my mind's already like, you know what, I've been thinking about that for the last week and here's what I was thinking. And I'm thinking, you know, in my mind, it's easier to control, you know, the feel of lead arm for most hitters than it is back arm. And here's my thought on kind of where I think that would be and how do we look up to see whether this is valid. And so I think it's completely true. I think it's, it's, I think, you know, you having the information you have and, you know, us being able to bounce ideas off each other, um, taking something you say and then my mind goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me think about that a little bit and throwing something back else out there. And then, you know, you, you, you sometimes having to rein me in um, because I have 34 ideas going on at the same time. Um, it's definitely, a, definitely been part of what's allowed me personally, um, I'm assuming you as well to continue to to develop as as teachers, as students inside this game. Yeah, you think um, you mentioned that of like the research that we've done um, and kind of put us in a position to to doing what we're doing now in a professional organization. But we did all that on our own, um, and sometimes it was painstaking. The 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 questions that I have now and the the manpower that we have behind us from a professional level with an entire R and D department, like we, we were the R and D department and still are at elite. We still come up with ideas that um, we can check through the professional organization. But I, with that extra knowledge or sometimes, you know, I, I've kind of logged off Twitter because it's become a dumpster fire of just politics and the polarization of politics and polarization of the hitting community as well. It's almost like identical hand in hand, but there's times I want to go in and, and I can't like re 
put proprietary information from the Cubs into a tweet by any stretch of the imagination. But there's some things that we've learned in, and we would just be like, you know, man, I, I really want to put you in your place right now because we have objective proof that what you're spewing is nonsense. But uh, before we had to come up with that proof on our own. And that was, was, and still is fun of, of being able to get into the lab and just get dirty. And uh, before that, it was um, 16 years ago, I moved to Chicago in 2004. That's kind of where I want to segue into what we're going to talk about today. And I met Travis at the Bull Sox Academy. I moved to Chicago and I didn't have a job. Um, my wife had a better job that pulled me out of living in St. Louis and um, teaching with the great Pat Perry at the time, former Cub and Cardinal. And I was like, well, if nothing else, Pat was uh, good friends with Jim Adusi, who worked at the Bulls Sox Academy. I said, if nothing else, I could just go give baseball lessons and teach baseball and figure out life and getting a job at some point. And that's where I met Travis. And, and I think I'm basically coming out of being a college coach very early before that. And I started that at 22 to 24. And I remember teaching as I had been taught. And when you're 22 to 24, you think you know a lot about a lot. And at 44, I realized I knew a little about nothing. Um, but I taught the way I, the way I had been taught. And I was very confident in teaching that approach, which was a really old school linear philosophy. Um, hands to the ball there was no sequencing it was just basically work inside path almost a push pattern I guess is what I was teaching was necessarily a push pattern and I remember actually giving a lesson to a player that played division one baseball and was one of my early students in Chicago and I said to him I, I really I, I recall this to the day it was probably in 2004 and we were talking about the lower half and I said if you don't know how to turn at the level you're at now you're never going to learn <laughs> and that shows of just my lack of knowledge at the time. I had no idea how the lower body worked. I had no idea how, other than like getting to an athletic position, like how, how many times have you said that? But it shows um, the progression that we have. I think you have to reflect back and look back at our evolution, Travis, over time. And it started at the Bull Sox Academy. And I'll, I'll let you talk about this now. And I first started with Right View Pro, and I have a background in the body, you know, like, a, and I was doing video analysis at a rudimentary level at, at Indiana State when I was coaching. But it wasn't until like digital photography made this a lot easier. And that was about the same time we're talking about now, and Right View Pro came out um, that I realized, oh shit, these guys aren't doing anything that I'm teaching. And it was kind of that aha moment of, I got to go back to school. I, I've got to learn. Um, and I think you had something similar. Is that not right, right, Travis? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, mine starting out there was, you know, probably similar to yours too. I was just out of college, um, hadn't had a job yet, was, had just signed essentially my first pro contract. Um, and I needed, I needed to make money um, in the off season or I guess I guess the off season leading up to my first season. So the few months I had left to actually make some money, knowing that I wasn't going to make much money playing. And I had a friend who was giving lessons at the Bulls Fox Academy. And I asked him since I figured, you know, at that point I can't get a full-time job and still play baseball. 
I asked him, Hey, you know, is, is there any way I could get over there and maybe give some lessons? Um, you guys looking for anybody else? And he talked to Jim Adusi. Um, and then he said, you know, Jim said, yeah, come on in. And so I went in, um, simply just to make some money. Um, honestly never wanted to teach kids, um, partially because I was kind of that nerdier person in class, um, that if you were talking over the teacher, you know, when I was in high school, I was going to put you up against the locker and be like, Hey, you need to tone it down in class. Cause being an athlete as well, you know, people are going to respect you because obviously I was stronger than some other kids because I played a sport, but I just figured I would never want to teach because I would be the one that's like, you know, if kids are messing around that, you know, I would have a hard time dealing with it, but I needed to make money and I knew I knew baseball or I thought I knew baseball. Um, so anyways, went in, ended up starting working just like little sluggers camps, which are for you guys are like five and six year old camps. And again, this be being back in whatever, 2000 four um and then eventually one of the instructors that was there ended up having to take some time off and they needed somebody to take his lessons um and so they ended up asking me and i kind of asked for them as well and so i started getting into the one-on-one -on -one side and completely just taught what i taught and what i was taught as a player growing up and it's funny because you were taught more in your mind like that kind of inside the ball push pattern and the way i grew up and was taught in northern wisconsin was more like you know squish the bug rotate hard pull every ball so i was completely more of a rotational hitter um which which obviously didn't work out very well for me um but i didn't know any better and i just assumed that i needed to work harder and i just assumed that i was doing something wrong and I just assumed that if I kept doing the same thing over and over again, at some point I'd get better results, which I didn't. And I was lucky enough to out physical the game front for a good enough stretch that I got to stay in it as a hitter before I had to become a pitcher. Um, but then even when we first started, we, our paths had crossed, but we didn't necessarily talk a bunch in the beginning. I remember that. And then, um, I ran across somebody that kind of changed my perspective, um, and that was Marty Cabernus. And one day he was watching me uh, give lessons, and he's kind of just standing in the background, and I was kind of like in my mind, like, who's this old guy over here watching me? And not that he was that old, but just he was older than me. And I was young yet, so, you know, naive. And <clears throat> then I remember he was then doing a pitching camp, and – I was like, you know, I'm going to go stand over there and kind of listen. And as I stood by and I listened to what he was saying, it was almost like he was speaking directly to me and not the kids. It's almost like he knew that he had a goal of trying to educate me. And this might be the time that we end up talking, even though I'm not talking back. I'm just listening. And he started going through, literally at this point, this is going back before essentially even we had Right View Pro there. He was going through still pictures i remember he had that yeah that, that album of still photos <laughs> yeah he, had a, he pulled up these still pictures and he's going through just simple things like glove side and other things and i'm like whoa 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 and he i he talked through a couple points and in my mind i'm like i've never heard anything like this in my life i've never heard anybody talk about it this way i've never had anybody refer to it this way so my first thought was like this guy's crazy like this guy's just like but then i'm looking at the pictures and i'm like well you 
in my mind, even before we had videos, like we can't make that picture up. Now, realistically, pictures are tougher now because we have access to so much better right. video. Oh, and, but limited at the time, that's about all we had. Like you and I right. both say now, it's like, I don't ever show me a still photo of anything. You, Cause right. you can take any still photo and put any context you want into it. So. Oh, especially too, based on the angle of it. I mean, you turn, you turn a picture and take a picture from a different angle, something's going to look completely different if you take that picture at the same time from a different angle. So, but it made me start to think. And I think that was the biggest thing is I, I actually, for the first time, probably started having more independent thought, like, wait a minute. So I remember standing around and like the next couple of days, I just tried to move like what he was describing. And at first it felt just terrible. Like I was like, well, this is terrible, but it was more because it was new to me. Like I just, my brain pattern didn't want to work that way. It was like, this is an odd feeling. I don't feel as athletic, but I kept playing with it because I'm like, there's something to what he's saying. And I couldn't slow video down at that point to see kind of how the fluidity of the movement happened and when it happened. I just knew that it happened. And I kept playing around and then pretty soon it was like, man, that actually feels pretty good. Like I feel smoother. Everything felt better. And that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, then I started seeking out more. So then I was like, you know, you were the, you were the big dog when it came to the, the hitting side there at that point. So then I was like, all right, let me kind of see what Justin's got going on. Let me go listen. Like, what's he talking about? And then we got right view pro. And then we started looking at video. And I remember, man, I, I had probably drawn so many angles on videos, just trying to figure out like, simple things like you know even if it was posture like you know just drawing an angle like all right what what angle is this guy at versus where the ball is and not even knowing then not even knowing then that that's kind of what i would be thinking about in 2020 you know just simple things that i had no idea like when i'm looking at angles i had no idea why i was looking at the angles or what those angles even meant i just started looking at them and i started seeing things and then started looking for patterns of people but hadn't again no idea i had no idea where it was going to go or how how i was going to get there it just seemed like the right thing to do and then you know then we would spend more time going through it you know but by now by that by that point you know i might have been there for a year you know and that first year i remember giving lessons and i remember going back to those parents and those kids year two and just saying hey man we're going to do something a little bit different year two. Um, I might've led you slightly down the wrong path. Not by, not by my, not by my malice or, you know, intent to just not care about helping you get better or being lazy. It's just, I'm smarter now. I've learned stuff that I never, I hadn't done. And it was kind of like, you know, that tough moment of like sucking up your pride yeah. and telling somebody, listen, man, I, I failed you. And, even till now, like even kids come in now, and like you said, we've been in this 16 years, like kids come in now, I, I tell them straight up when we start, I'm like, I don't have all the answers, man. Like I'm, I'm going to do my best to give you the best information that I can possibly come up with that I can take from other people that whatever. And if better information keeps coming out and I keep learning more then I'm going to keep adjusting, you know, but understand like I'm doing that for you. Like I'm going to continue to learn not just for me, because, you know, part of it's for me, because I'm selfish, like, I, I want to know more. But a lot of it's because, you know, my only job right now is to help people enjoy the game that's allowed me to basically have my entire living. So yeah. I think you bring up a good point right there. And it, it takes vulnerability to be humble to say, I'm 
better now. I wasn't as good then. And I, I go back to that Twitter being a dumpster fire. I think that's the issue there. Like, like somebody wants to plant their flag in the ground and claim that this is one way, this is right. And you and I both know that it's just like, be careful where you plant that flag, man, because in a couple of years, you, you, you may have a, a different tone. And, and I'll segue into this, Travis. I think the next step for you and I, knowing we were wrong, was curiosity. And I think curiosity is a major ingredient for a good coach because that's the piece that makes you strive to want to be better at what you do to make your players in turn better as well. So think about our hours that we, we had, like we worked after well, you were probably training in the mornings, but um, yeah. we worked afternoons and evenings, we would get home late at night, but in generally in the morning, that was your time to research. And I think while the general population probably uses their idle time to play Fortnite, um, or whatever it is people do these days. Like you and I were digging into like every video that we could find, right? And then we would come in that afternoon and it, it's, it was that quest for knowledge. And I think that one, even though our personalities, you and I are, are pretty different, the one thing that we definitely have in common is we can't turn our mind off. And when something is on our mind, it's gonna consume us until we figure it out. And, Rightfully so. I don't know that you ever figure it out, right? So you just keep pursuing that. So talk, talk a little bit about um, that step of, you know, like what, what, what were you digging into? Where, where were you seeking out pieces of information to try, try to draw a conclusion to being a better coach? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and now, and you know, even to, even to start now, like the best thing about being in the baseball community for a long enough time is that you make a lot of friends and you make a lot of educated friends and you make a, you make a lot of friends that are similar to what we are. Um, so now it's easier because, you know, it's easy enough for me to obviously reach out to you and say, Hey, I've got this idea. Can you, any way you can use, you know, some of the back information from, from the pro team to kind of verify or to, you know, squish this idea, no pun intended there. Um, back then it was kind of the same thing though. Like you just, the, the, the network was way smaller because, yeah. you know, social media wasn't around. So it wasn't like you had access to all these people. I was new to coaching. So I didn't have, you know, tons of the people that I went to college with that I knew that were in the, that weren't in the coaching community yet. So I didn't have them as like associates yet. Um, so I had to reach out to people I knew. And like I said, you know, that was for me primarily, you know, you and Marty and then, you know, when we had pro guys coming in, I remember, I remember all the little conversations, you know, and it's funny. I still say to this day, like there's times I forget people's names. I forget dates, but I remember almost every lesson and I can tell kids that haven't been in for two months, they can walk in and I can say, Hey, have you had a chance to work on X, Y, or Z? And they're like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, in, in their mind, it's almost like they're amazed that I remember what they did because they don't remember what they did two months ago. But it's like, yeah, that's, that, that's exactly right. I'm horrible with names. I mean, absolutely terrible. But a kid could walk in that I gave lessons to seven years ago the same way, and I can tell you exactly their swing pattern. And I, do you think that's just because that's what we deem so important? Like, again, yes. not shutting our mind off on that, on that stuff? Yeah, I actually had that conversation the other day. I said it's because – I had a conversation with a kid, you know, probably, I think it was like a 14 year old kid like two days ago. And I just told him, I said, 
I think it's because that's what I prioritize because that's, that's where I see value in myself. That's where I'm trying to learn. That's where I'm responsible for trying to help others understand themselves and make them curious um, as, as athletes as well, to make them curious, to think outside the box, to not feel like there's all those rules. So I completely agree that that's why we do it. Because, I mean, it's not that people's names don't matter, but if I only have so much that I can keep um, for easy recollection in my mind, it's going to be what I deem is probably the most important stuff, which that doesn't mean someone's name's not important, but I remember the face and I remember, hey, oh, here's where we're at. Hey, what'd you get to do on this this week? How have you been feeling with it? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but going back to your original question, I think, you know, then it became using every resource that I had available, you know, so whether it was, you know, listening to pro guys, you know, I remember one, one story is, you know, Curtis Granderson was coming in and hitting. And so this had to be, yeah. this probably had to be like 2000, maybe six, maybe 2006, something like that. Maybe 2005. I can't remember. Yeah, it was one of those, five or six. Yeah. It was one of those first couple of years. And I remember I was sitting there with uh, Chris Andell and we were getting our workout in and, because I teach, you know, we went and sat and watched Curtis hit a little bit and he's just hitting by himself in the cage and we just sat there and hit, watched him hit for a little bit. And then when he got done, um, we're just going to pick up some balls. You know, we just kind of, you know, Hey, we'll jump in and help you grab some of these balls. And I remember we asked him a question and we just said, you know, Hey, what do you think about when you hit? Cause in our mind, it's like, well, what are you thinking about? If you're, you're a, you're the best of the best, you know, you're at the highest level. Like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you working on? And he was, he said, he literally, he sat there for a second and didn't say a word. And it's almost like he was thinking like, man, I don't really necessarily know completely what I think about. And then, you know, he then went to a point that, you know, stuck out with me for honestly this entire time, which is where I remember this conversation is he said, I try to hit every ball out in front of me. He I goes, remember that. I was going to say the same thing. I just wrote that yeah. down. Like, and I asked him, he was working his T contact points. And I remember him having the ball away out in front of home plate. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't teach that. On the pitch away, we're supposed to back the ball up. Yeah. And he said that. He said, I try to hit everything out in front. And that just goes to show, like, that was 15 years ago, man. You know, and, and not that every hitter should hit the ball out in front, but we know that the most patterns that that is going to be the damage zone. But that was just one of those moments where – and I wrote this, I've been taking notes as you're talking, Travis. I, I wrote down the note, small network to big network. And that's kind of what yeah. you're talking about. We didn't have a network. We had, right. we had like every resource that came in there. We had a lot of pro players that came in there. We had to pick their brain. And it was so much harder then, man, because we had limited resources. We definitely tried to maximize that to better ourselves. But think about the network that we have now. I'm, I'm looking over at my bookshelf. I'm thinking now, okay, I, I, I read this book, Performance Cortex, about the mind and what, what, a completely different segment of how little we know about the, the brain and how that incorporates into performance and hitting. But now, I, like, I read the book. I was completely intrigued. I called the author, and the author takes my phone call. So people <laughs> ask me sometimes, like, well, what's the difference from working in a facility to, to working where you, you are now? And I said, well, the biggest difference is anytime I pick up the phone, people return my call, probably. But we have access to like everything now, and like from where you were to where you are, that that wasn't there, man. And we had to like get into the trenches and really grind to find information. 
hundred percent. Like, and it's hard to explain. It's like, you know, it's almost like when you were grinding out, you were, you were, you're paying your dues for what we have now. Like we, we were paying our dues by having to just grind it out. And, you know, again, man, I can't, I can't even tell you how many hours I would go. Like you said earlier, like I can't say how many hours I would have gone in to the White Sox Academy and either been like, Hey, I got to get my workout in first. Cause obviously I was still playing at that point. And then I would sit there for, you know, 35, 40 minutes just on right view pro, just like going through videos, pulling up different players, you know, putting split screen on and trying to figure out how does this guy move like this guy or why is this guy different and how come they're different and, and, you know, where are they at in certain places and like, how does it look to actually slow it down? Not again, not even knowing exactly what I was looking for at that point. And then, you know, now it's like you said, like, you know, having met so many people, having gotten, having gotten to share information with so many people where they're willing to share with you too, you know, getting on the phone with, you know, golf biomechanists and talking about differences and like, Hey, what are you guys seeing in your athletes? And what do you have on this? And talking to big league hitting coaches and, you know, the full gamut, you know, strength and conditioning people, like everything is, it's, it's great. And it, it, it makes you, want to be more humble because you're like man like i'm asking other people for help still at this point being over 40 years old and 16 years in this business like i need other people to still help me in doing what i'm doing because there's just simply it would take too long to figure everything out on your own it just it's it's too overwhelming and so if everybody's got you know a little bit of a different thought process or niche within our business and even outside businesses, it's, it's easier to say, Hey, listen, you've spent a lot of time doing this already. What do you got on this? And then wherever they're at in it, it's not like you're just taking their word, but you're going, okay, that's a really good starting point for me. You've already done, you know, a bit of this legwork. Let me kind of just verify some of this and go through it and see if maybe there's a little bit more to it um, and shortens the process. And that goes, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up a point real quick before we jump back to you here in a second. When you brought up Fortnite earlier, it's this is this is one of the things I always talk to kids about because most kids at this point, including my own son, um, watches YouTube videos of people playing video games. Yeah, why and, do people do that? My kids well, so, do. So here's what I'm going to tell you. So this is where this is my analogy that I give to kids. I said, you know, I asked the kids. I said, so you know, at first I was confused why my son did that. I'm like, bro, like, why would you not just play yourself? Why don't you just go and play yourself instead of watching other people play? And he goes, I don't know. I go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But I sat and thought about it. And I'm like, you know what? I asked a couple more kids and, you know, kids like, oh, it's entertaining. And then I sat and thought, and I'm like, you know what? This is legitly the same thing I did as a kid. You watched it's, just, I, it's just I did it with baseball. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I watched baseball only because it was number one, because it was entertaining. Number two, because it gave me a head start when I went out to the field. When I saw the best players play, I already had an advantage over other people because I already had an idea how to move or what the game looked like. So it gave me a jump start of like, Oh, look at that guy's footwork. So I didn't need somebody to sit around and teach me footwork. I didn't need to practice footwork for 87 hours trying to figure out how to have footwork. I would just watch those guys move and I try to emulate and move like them. And then I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? That's exactly what those watching those videos is these kids it's entertainment. So it, it, it they like it. So it's entertaining. But then when they jump on and play Fortnite, they already have a built-in strategy. They've yeah. already seen, okay, this, this person 
builds their tower this way or they snipe this way or they use a jump shot this way or they do this or here's where they're finding they know already where the loot chest is because it's the same on the map and now that i've seen other people get to it i don't have to spend 84 hours looking for them and i went and th i sat and thought about it. I'm like man that is legit exactly what i did we just did it with baseball and you know these kids and their access to obviously you know more than we had and i lord knows what i would have done if i would have had what they had when i was growing up probably the same thing as they are that's what it was to me. It was like, man, like we used baseball that way, watching it. On t I can't even remember a day I didn't watch baseball on TV, you know. And then the once game of the week, man, that was, that was big. Yeah, and then once we actually had cable and it had ESPN, and you could get highlights, just come home, come home from school or whatever, and just watch it on repeat, man. I might have watched Sports Center four times a night sometimes. Like just, just walked it, watched it, and you knew that the highlights are coming back up, and you want to see it again. And that's a good point. That, that was the only access we had because you, yeah. you couldn't pull it up on a computer at that point. You couldn't have it on a phone because we didn't have phones back then. Yeah, I, was a, I wasn't a Cubs fan growing up in Southern Illinois. I was a Cardinals fan, but my mom was just a big baseball fan. And I always remember – I'm talking really young. So I guess our kid's age, um, be like seven, eight years old. And remember, Cubs games started, what, like 120, 140, Shafe? Is that yeah. right? right? And I always remember when I got home from school, it was always the sixth or seventh inning. You know, so the game was on, and I sat down, usually had a snack of some sort. Oftentimes, it was a big day if my mom had Topps baseball cards on the tray <laughs> underneath, the, <laughs> underneath the TV. And I would open baseball cards, and I'd watch, like, baseball, right, every day because day games. And, you know, limited number. We had 12 channels, man. That's like a, and a clicker, right? Black and white TV. That shows my age. I just um, can't I wrote down a couple more notes, Travis, as you're talking, and this is kind of the way I have so many notes written down already that we could just do completely separate podcasts on. But I'm gonna bring up three points here. One, I said th those phone calls that you get to me on a Saturday afternoon. I recall, like, I'll be on my deck, I'll be grilling something. You're 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 working, getting out of lessons, and I can tell you've been thinking about something, stewing on it for probably two weeks, and I just let you talk about whatever ideas on your mind. And they're usually pretty deep. And I don't know if you recognize this, but I usually don't say anything. And I just let you talk. And it takes me about two days to think about and process a conversation that we will have, which is why I don't respond. And then I think about it for a couple of days. And, I, it, and it's just not that way with you. That's kind of the way my mind works. When I'm learning new things, I often don't say anything. And as I'm learning new things, I'm processing. And it takes you a while to process that and kind of come up with your own idea. Um, so that's one thing I wrote down. I'm going to get back to that. The other one was the golf biomechanists. We're the only guys, and we did this 10 years ago, we're the only guys that go to baseball conferences and seek out the golf guys. <laughs> Think about how much we've learned from guys like Greg Rose and having a guy like that in our network. Um, and Scott and uh, the guys from Swing Catalyst. Like that, that's, I feel like... At the time, especially when still 10 years ago, we were more limited in information than what we are now, um, or access to information, I should say. Like, that was a huge move for us of being able to go out and, and really learn a lot about what the golf industry, which was way ahead of the baseball industry, was doing. And I don't think that's necessarily the same now. I definitely think the baseball industry is catching up. But talking about that, that curiosity and processing information, think about the number. This is where I want to go with it now. The number of hours that we were putting in, and we still put in a, a ton of hours. It's just different. Like now I'm yeah. 
I'm managing people uh, in two different realms. I'm managing people for a pro organization. I'm managing people for a league. So I have a lot more desk time than I ever had before. But people ask, like, how did you get a baseball business that, you know, you know, we have several full-time employees and it does, it certainly doesn't run itself, but we have really good people that own their jobs and do a really good job. Like Dan Schaefer sitting here with us doing the, the TV side and Corey being the COO and, and running the day to day. But I, I answer that question was, well, for about 15 years, we made shit money and we worked fucking 16 hours a day. Right. And we did it. How much money did you make per hour when you started off with the Bull Sox Academy? Travis. Well, I made twenty. I made twenty bucks an hour. Twenty bucks an hour, and I get people that come in and interview for like a private instructor job, and I tell them what we pay, which is well more than twenty dollars an hour, and they look at me like I don't get like three quarters of the lesson money. I'm like, dude, you're twenty five, you don't know shit, and you're asking me for like seventy five bucks an hour. And I think back, and maybe it's just like you know, millennials are different than than you and I, Travis, because you're certainly getting older now um but i think back like motherfucker i made 20 bucks an hour doing this shit and i loved it i was like this is a great i i, I get to teach baseball for a living sign me up right so i, I think about that like there, there's definitely some um you know spending your time on the streets to, to, to try to learn your craft and I, and I appreciate those moments because one we didn't make much money but two, if you were going to survive and be a full-time baseball guy, you had to friggin' work hours, man. So you remember the days on the weekends where Mary would have our lesson sheet out and you knew if it had a staple in it, you're like, yep. oh shit, like I got to strap it on today because I'm not going to be able to use the bathroom. What a staple meant was you had more than seven hours of lessons, 14 lessons fit on a sheet. A staple meant you were going more than seven hours of time in the cage that day. And I'll, I'll, I'll revert back to, um, I was doing some side work in Chicago, teaching some kids in the neighborhood. And there was, and we just started uh, what ended up being the elite travel team. So I had a 14 year old travel team that a guy in the city asked me to coach. I rented time myself at the Bull Sox Academy at six in the morning on Saturdays. That practice went from 6 a.m., to right up till 9 a.m. where my 9 a.m. advanced hitting class started. The advanced hitting class went two sessions, 9 to 11, 11 to 1, and I usually gave two hours of lessons after that to special clients that just couldn't get in on my schedule. So now we're talking 3 o'clock and I haven't had lunch yet. So from 3 o'clock, I went into the city, grabbed lunch on the way. It was Sundays, right? Because I always thought – it was so great when the bears play the afternoon game. Cause I could get to the city 15 minutes quicker because Chicago shuts down when the bears are on TV. Cause everybody's in the house and there's no traffic. I would grab food on the way at the, uh, on, uh, I think Maple Avenue and Lyle. And there's like a taco bell or something like a McDonald's over there. I grab it. I'd eat it in the car because when I got to the city at four o'clock, I could give two more hours of lessons and make $75 an hour. And that was worth doing. If I got there early on a day that the Bears played, I got to catch a 10-minute nap in my car. <laughs> From 4 to 6 p.m., I would give lessons at Bash Sports Academy, make $75 an hour. But we had travel teams then practicing on Sunday nights because there wasn't 
anybody in the academy at the time. I would get back in my car, go back to Lyle, and coach from 7 to 9 o'clock. Then I come back, pass out at, at, in my house in Chicago at 10 p.m. My day started at 5 a.m., getting in the car, getting out to Lyle. I got home at 10 p.m. and wouldn't have traded it for anything. And people ask you, what does it take to make in the baseball industry? Like grinding your fucking ass off. That's what it takes, right? No, 100%. I think, I think you know, that's when we're, at least for me, you know, first in it, it's the, it's the naivety of like, I, I love baseball. You know, it'd be great to be able to help out other people but I needed to make money. And even though that money wasn't great, it was still better than, honestly, it was better than what I was going to get somewhere else. And I got to do baseball. So I would grind out lessons again. You know, this is, this is the young part of doing, of doing what we did is it was, you know, it was to help, but it was also, I need, obviously I needed to survive. And, you know, I was pulling, I was pulling 12 hour Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, I was working seven days a week at that point, but I was doing 12 hours on Saturdays and 12 hours on Sundays. So I'd go nine to nine Saturdays and Sundays at the Bull of Sox Academy. And you wouldn't take a break if I remember right. Like I, I, did, I, not, you I did not eat. You didn't, I did not. You didn't use the bathroom. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I wouldn't. For 12 hours, I wouldn't eat or go to the bathroom because I felt bad. Even if it was the kids were picking up baseballs, because I, I, I still, even to this day, I help pick up baseballs. Um, I would feel bad because they're paying for my time. And, you know, in my mind, like they get that whole time. But when you're going one lesson to the next, you know, every 30 minutes, somebody new is coming in or every hour, depending on how, how people are booking their time. It was like, I'm not going to walk away even for, you know, three minutes to just run to the bathroom real quick. I'm like, I'll sit here with you. Cause even as we pick up balls, I'm having conversations. I'm in the cage. Like, Hey, how did you feel that round? You know, what did that feel like? You know, what do you got here on this? And, you know, even to your point now, I mean, heck, I'm going to be 42 in less than two months. And, you know, the other day, you know, you gave me a, a message and said, Hey, you want to come to the city early? Um, we got some guys in and I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, and did that, you know, got up, took my son to school, literally right from his school, drove straight to Chicago from Chicago, then I went over to our place over, place we use over in Willowbrook, and I was there till 10.30 at night. So, you know, I left here at 9 o'clock to get to Chicago by 10. I left Illinois at 10.30 to get back here at 11.30 at night and wouldn't trade it. Again, even now, even this many years in, like, I wouldn't trade it. It's, it feels like a longer day now, but, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty high energy, so I get through things pretty quickly like that, but... I wouldn't trade it for anything. And then going back to then the White Sox Academy, then it got to a certain point where, you know, the, the White Sox were offering me a position to run one of their satellite facilities. And I said, well, do I have to quit the baseball? As in like, could I do this? You know, my team was more of a local, local pro team uh, in the Gary Railcats. And I was like, you know, is there a way that I could manage both? you know, that I could do both. Is that an option? And they're like, no, it's got to be a full-time position. And I said, you know, the first year they offered me, I said, you know, I'm not ready to be done yet. Um, so I stayed in it. And I remember going into them that next year. Um, I was in season and I was the same way when I was giving lessons as baseball got close when I was going to head off to spring training. Um, and I'd be like, man, I'm really, I'm really ready to get out and play baseball. 
And then that year I was in baseball and it was like, I was thinking about like, man, what are my kids doing? Like, how, I wonder how these kids years going. Like I, it was, it was like my brain transitioned from like the one thing I thought I always loved more than anything else, which was playing baseball transitioned into, I, if you gave me the option, I would probably choose teaching baseball over playing baseball. And I love baseball. That goes from caring about yourself to caring about others, really. Yeah. So, like, I mean, that was that was a huge a huge mindset change that you know honestly just comes with maturity. I mean, you can't. You know, I would like to think that I'm smart enough to be able to make good decisions, but like, you know, I've made my fair share and still do make my fair share of mistakes. But like, it it just came, and it was like this is this is it, and then it became the I've got to grind out hours a different way. You know, when we first started getting force plates and all the other stuff, we started getting in. It was like, man, I, I would spend every hour driving to Chicago. Like, I would drive to Chicago in the morning, like, strap up, strap on all the stuff that I was testing out, get on the stuff. I'd run all the equipment myself half the time, sit there for two, three hours. Then I'd, you know, drive myself out to Willowbrook or drive back to Indiana for lessons. Or if it was a Chicago day, then great. But I would spend so many hours just being like, well, what about this? Let's try this. And I got to try this. And, like, something would pop in my head at night, and I couldn't sleep. And I'm like, I got to get up early. I got to get up there. I got to, I got to, before I forget what I'm thinking about, like, you know, and like how you take notes, it's like, you know, going to your point of like how you will sit and just listen and listen and be like, listen, before I respond, let me just, let me, let me decompress and let me try to figure out some of this, this information. What does this mean to me? You know, my brain is almost probably slightly, again, different than yours where I'm like, oh man, I got a bunch of thoughts. Let yeah. me get these let, let me just let me get them out. Yeah. Let me get them out. And then yeah, like definitely how you and I are different. For sure. Yeah. And it's like, listen, like you take whatever you want of these thoughts or just push whatever you want to the side, but let me get them out of my head now before I can only remember a third of what I was thinking. And that's where I use other people to help me. Like, Hey, I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff out there and you tell me there's any of this stuff. Like, and you might, you might sit there for a little bit and be like, Hey, you know, like two days later, Hey, Hey, you know what you're saying about this? You're like, I think you might be onto something. And I'll be like, bro, it's been 48 hours, man. Like I'm over here. Stew- I'm over here. I'm over here stewing on, fi- on 10 more things already. Like which, which one is it? You know? And then you're like, Hey, I think we should, we should look more into this and Hey, you know, you know, should we head in and test some of this stuff or Hey, let me get, you know, at this point, maybe the R and D department on it and see what they have on this information ready. Cause they're going to be able to extrapolate and pull it much quicker than yeah. we still obviously take us to be able to manually do, even though, again, we still, manually do it and it was same like remember remember when we got shut down from covid right and had all the had all the the data points and i'm sitting around here being like i've never had time off from work like i i had worked six days a week at least for 16 years and all of a sudden covid had shut us down and i'm sitting at my house going like what do i do now and it was like all right well here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna download excel I'm going to reteach myself how to do <laughs> like that's earth shattering. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, start, I'm going to start to, I turned on my computer and I plugged it in and the shit just went crazy. <laughs> and I'm going to man, I'm going to manually for hour upon hour upon hour, just plug in data and then learn how to run all my formulas on here just so I can see if I can figure out something that I didn't know that I don't know yet. Like, or maybe they'll just I read to do email during COVID. <laughs> bro we're talking excel <laughs> oh no i know what you're saying but but uh, speaking of this shape he's talking about we getting force plates and travis used to bitch all the time because everything was skewed towards hitting and i would get the toys 
selfishly for myself. And of course, I mean, he does both. So there was, there was a lot of utilization. I call him yesterday. I'm like, traps. I'm thinking like, I got, I got something for you. Say, hey man, I've got 3D markless motion capture for you. For pictures. I do. Oh, sweet. Thanks, man. That's it? No, but when you just, it's funny. This, is actually, this conversation is even funnier because I was starting at 2.30 yesterday um and i had driven down to the city because i was in chicago and i got there and now mind you again i sat like all morning all morning I, I had to do some yard work then i jumped on and i had a bunch of other things that i was working through like and writing down notes on my phone of like stuff i wanted to get through now that we've got now that I've, I've got the ability to get back in and start doing a lot more um research and stuff and we've got our interns there so i want to start getting into some more stuff so i had all these things going through my head i'm writing them down i'm driving up to chicago and I haven't, again, this is just typical me, apparently. I hadn't eaten all day. <laughs> and so I'm getting to Chicago, and I'm like, all right. You know, traffic wasn't bad, but, you know, it probably took me an hour and 10 minutes, whatever, to get there. And I'm like, all right. I got here just early enough that I could swing through McDonald's and just grab some food so I could make it through the next six and a half hours of lessons. And literally right as I'm pulling into the drive-thru and I'm like, I got to get this order in so I can get it and eat before I'm going to be late for lessons is when you call. So like I'm, you're talking, I'm putting you, I'm putting my phone on mute so you can't hear me as I'm ordering food. And then I'm clicking, <laughs> I'm clicking it off and you'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's good, man. And then I'm like back on mute. But like, yeah, that's it. That's all. Yeah. Nope, just that. I'm good. Okay. Take, I got a speedy marvelous motion capture. I was, I was ready for him. Yeah, Stoney, this is great. I've been looking for this for 15 years. I'm like, and I just got sided by a McDonald's <laughs> order. You did. You did. After this many years, that's literally what happened. And I remember I got, we got off the phone. I was like, I was like, man, I probably just sounded like I wasn't even either A, paying attention or B, just like disinterested. And I was like, I'm really jacked about it. But it's funny you said that because I was actually going to bring that up later today. Probably not, on, probably, not on Zoom. probably not on our Zoom, but. The Hamburglar strikes again. <laughs> All right, we got 15 minutes here, and I want to get into uh, uh, a actual instructional point. So thinking back to those days at the Bull Sox Academy and, and what we taught, and we were lucky we had access, and I talked to Scott Fletcher yesterday, who started Right View Pro, which is ironic, he called me. Um, but he was tight with – Greg Walker and Gellin. We, we were talking a little bit about Greg Walker, former White Sox and Braves hitting coach yesterday on the phone. And Walk and Gelly were way better to me than they needed to be at a young age and gave me access to their insights and the field and the, the big league cage. And just, I got to learn a lot. But I remember sitting down with Gelly, who, uh, you know, he's, he's off the Walt Riniak, Charlie Lautry for sure. That's certainly at that time. And I was looking at Right View Pro with what, specifically at A-Rod. And I think A-Rod was doing some different things than maybe I heard Gelly talk about in the cage. And he said something that I didn't understand at the time that I understand now. And I was talking about what A-Rod was doing in his swing. And what Gelly said was he was likely not taught the way he swings at all. But the way that he was taught manifested itself in the swing that he has. I'm going to say that again. He was probably not taught the way he swings whatsoever. But the way he was taught manifested itself into the swing that we see. 
And I think um, hitting is very cyclical. And I'm using, at the pro level, some drills now that I was using then that I probably haven't used as much over the course of the last 10 years. And I think with professional hitters, the last piece going from an amateur to a pro, in, in the last piece that we work on with an amateur, I, ha I had a kid come in with his agent um, a few days ago that's one of the more heralded 2022s in the country. And his first day, I said, your body metrics are really, really good. Swing fast, sequence, decel rates are really, really good. But your, the path was, was not good. He's uh, barrel dumps, gets flat, rolls over, cuts out of the zone. And I said, the good news is the last thing that we're working on here is direction. And direction is the last piece because you can't work on direction without having the rest of the pieces of the body in sync because if, if first move is bad, the rest of it's going to be just comp series of compensating moves. And I think about the directional drills that I'm doing now with pro hitters, which is probably the most that we do. We work on directions and angles because most of these guys, their bodies for the most part are in a good position. They're for the most part, they're fairly sequenced. Um, and their, their swing is right for their body type, I'll say. So when you're working on direction, normally it is an over-exaggeration of a linear feel. And going back to that Walt Riniak, Charlie Lau tree that Gelly and Walk were certainly on, um, it was a lot of like two feet down, no rotation, exaggerate, uh, almost an inside-out path at times. And the guys I'm working with in the cage, which I'm – 10 minutes, I'm going to go start doing, uh, like I'll fire them high up and in velo, and we will start hitting that ball that's up and in straight up the middle, and then eventually take it to the pull side by just adjusting the contact point by having the same feel. And I, I think back to like I'm using a lot of drills now that we used in 2005, 2006 that – we went away from Travis, you and I, in probably 2015 saying, what were we doing? Right. And I think it's not that we were wrong. I think it's the intention in the mindset of what you're trying to get out of the drill. You, as you continue to learn and process, you're applying it to the right situation. So how I wouldn't teach a push pattern to a young kid that's not sequenced the idea of a push pattern for a guy that dumps the barrel at a professional level is a good fit for them. You want to, you want to hit on that, that. Topic? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, again, like probably, you know, to your point, it was, again, it was the, the shutdown for me, got me thinking about some things and looking through some things. And like, you know, I, I kept thinking like, man, like how is it that people aren't able to control the barrel? Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's barrel control. And barrel control comes down to direction. And your first move before you start to really accelerate is going to dictate where the direction wants to go. And any, anything inefficient from there is going to be pulling you off that line. You're going to have to compensate to get back on it, essentially. So I was looking like, man, like so many people have, you know, like that, that, that back elbow lead or – the hands lag too much behind the initial move where they're not getting, they're not getting into or staying connected or getting connected to the body line. And 
looking at it again, like I'm an analogy guy and it was, it was for me like, Oh, okay. Imagine, imagine a tablecloth on a table and you put a glass on it. And if I'm going to pull that tablecloth out, if I pull the tablecloth really slow, the glass comes with the tablecloth. If I pull the tablecloth really fast, the glass stays there. And in reality, if there wasn't a table, the glass would drop down. And that's the analogy that I use with the body, that the body, the torso essentially is going to be your tablecloth and your hands are that glass. If I turn slow, it's easy to keep my hands connected with me moving and get them directional to the ball. If I rotate really fast, my hands are going to lag if I'm not ready to move them. So basically, you know, what we had gone and tried to, like you said, forever be like, oh, we got to get in sequence. And that means that the hands have to be the last thing to move. And, you know, how does that happen? And how, what has to happen before that? And, you know, then it became like, you know, most of these pro hitters that talk about simply just their hands, like I got to get my hands going. I got, I'm getting my hands, you know, even, even the directional down or just like forward or across my body or, and I remember that Bregman video where he had the flashlight thing where he just talked about getting his hands across his, his body. He goes, I know that's not exactly how I swing, but I have to think that way so I don't get, you know, so I don't pull out too early. And I sat and thought about that. And I'm like, you know, that is exactly why these guys talk about, in my mind, this is why guys talk about their hands having to go, is because they're always chasing this faster turn speed. And the faster we turn, the more likely it is we're going to disconnect or the hands are going to stay on the table as the tablecloth gets pulled. And so I started going back. And to your point, I started going back and doing like even just like, hey, let's let's try to have our hands beat our body. Let's try to push our hands through for the for the people that are turning really fast, but the hands aren't coming with them where they're then getting dumped or they're getting lag. And then they're having to cut their swing off because of that. It was that. And I started doing like one hand drills again. And I haven't done one hand drills and probably even though we had bought some short bats, like I just, you know, I know some of it was for two hand work and stuff too, but like I hadn't done one hand drills in forever because it was always like, you know, I started with that way back when, because that was something we would do maybe as a kid. And it's like, Oh, here's another thing we could do with kids. And then it became, well, we need both arms to be able to work together not just independently so let's get away from one arm movements and then it was like you know what like i need people to understand direction better and sometimes to do that you have to get their mind out of their normal swing so you take two hands off the bat the swing doesn't feel the same to them they can pay a little bit more attention to that direction and they can feel kind of what direction is without the thought of having to have a lot of intent like they're not trying to hit one hand I don't want you to hit this ball one-handed 98 miles an hour. I want you to, you know, soft, soft line drive this at most and just really be good at finding direction and being able to get across. So to that point, you know, that's one for me that I know that, like I said, I hadn't done a lot of it. Same thing with, like you had said, like you pump up and in. I've been doing, you know, in the last couple of months since we've been back, I've been doing a lot of high tee. And I've gone away from high tee too because – you know, it trended in baseball for so long that pitchers were throwing more and more sinkers and sinking stuff down in the zone and driving balls down. And so I was like, man, like this high tee, you know, it's, it's out of the zone. I, you know, I get that it helps this, but I, I didn't really look at it the way I look at it now again, you know, and then the game changes back and you get guys throwing higher up in the zone again. And you're seeing that when most people disconnect, they end up missing under or they're fighting back up to get there. So you're like, Hey, 
how much better connected can we be if we go back up to the high T? Because it's really hard to be disconnected at a high T. Because there's very little space and there's very little distance for you to disconnect. So going back to that high T again a lot and, you know, having guys play through that field and they're like, well, this isn't a strike coach. I'm like, I get it's not a strike. I'm not telling you to swing at this in the game. I want you to be able to get some reps in that you're going to move better where you're going to be able to get reps in with less thought. You're not going to sit and think like, what is connection? And how do I get connected? And, and what is direction? And I'm, you know, using a little bit of a self-organization there where you don't have much choice. The closer the ball is to you and the closer, the higher it up is, the less you can disconnect because you're not, you can't reach for it because it's really close to you. So again, two, two things that I probably hadn't used a lot in the last few years, but I used probably a lot when I first started out and then kind of got away from and pulled back in going, man, there's value here. You know, and like you said, like I've, I've told a bunch of kids, Hey man, you got to push your hands here. You got to get them out. You just got to get your hands out front. Like just cueing them to like, Hey, stop thinking about like, stop thinking about like being, you know, super strong and just like cheat your hands. Like I want you to feel almost like you're pushing and you know, the looks on their face sometimes is like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not what we've talked about before. And I'm like, yeah, but you're lagging and you're having a hard time pulling it out. You got to think something different here. You got to make it, you know, make a feel change here. So I got an old school drill for you the same way as uh, talking about the high T. So back in um, 2000 and or probably 2000, 98, 99, 2000, when I was coaching at Indiana State on weekends, we were at home. We could get out to the field earlier. Um, and before BP, you know, you remember in college baseball when you were an infielder, the pitchers hit you fungos for masses ground balls. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would have our hitters before BP hit fungos to the pitchers. The pitchers would take positions out on the field. And the idea was to hit them one hops with the fungo. And it was that idea of almost the high tee of taking your hands forward, across, get them out in front. And I think about like one of my favorite drills for disconnecting guys right now. And uh, here in a couple minutes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the house. And I'm going to go work with a, with a major leaguer. And the first drill we're going to do, as we do every time he comes in, is he's going to hit a fungo to the back of the cage on a line. And at the beginning, and he's still not great at it, um, and, and I joke around with him, and I was like, you know, there's not many things as a hitter that I can do better than you right now as a current major leaguer, but this is one. I can hit a fungo to the back of the cage very consistently and very well. Uh, and he can't. But it's kind of that feel of, can I be that short and direct? And can I start the day with good direction? So that, that, that's a really good, Travis, that you're talking about that. Um, hour in, I've, I've got a bunch of notes here that uh, will, will lead us into future podcasts that we'll, we'll continue to record these. I'd like to thank our producer today, Dan Schaefer, who if you're watching this on YouTube, um, you, you can see he's just doing a phenomenal job there in the middle, middle square of the recording of producing our segment today. Dan? Appreciate you. Um, would you. Would you like to give any, any words to the listeners? No, that was outstanding. Uh, but hopefully this will be a regular for, for Travis and I. We, it's great being able to just catch up and talk baseball. And I know there's a, a need for content out there, and you can kind of get it into our minds, and we'll, we'll continue to pump some of this out. So thanks for listening.